All right, for those of us up here, we are in John chapter 6. Uh, we are going, I was going to try to cover some more verses, but uh, God said this was enough, so we're going we're gonna to go through from 15 through 21. 15 through 21 of chapter 6. This is, of course, uh, Jesus walking on water. Now, when we look at this chapter, or this, this set of verses, I'm sorry, uh, this is one of those ones where I do like to look at the other Gospels because like at a, a major event or a crime scene or something like that, you get these different views that all mesh together to form the, the whole scene. And so there's a little bit in Mark, there's a little bit in Matthew that when you read them side by side with this, you get the bigger picture. So I want to start actually with instead of verse 15 through 21, I want to look at Mark 6, verse 52 for just one second here to set us up for what's going on here. So in Mark 6, chapter 6, verses 52, it says, and this is, it says, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves but their hearts were hardened. Now this is speaking of the apostles. This is saying that that miracle that we covered last week, that that turning that little bit of bread and that little bit of fish into so much food for so many people that it wasn't the nail, it wasn't the clincher for the apostles. For some reason, their hearts were hardened to a certain degree about their idea of who Christ was still. Maybe they just weren't pushed over the edge quite yet. So with that in mind, let's read uh, 15 through 21 of chapter 6 in John, where it says, So Jesus, aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. In addition, the sea began to get rough, because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about 25 or 30 stadia, which is about three and a half miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to take him in the, into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now like I said, you read all the Gospels together, you get a much bigger picture. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this, but it does leave a little bit out here. But let's talk about this for just a second, because when we hear that they're going across the sea to Capernaum, Unless all of us are completely familiar with, with Israel, we're not going to know what they're talking about here. So this sea, the Sea of Galilee, is actually a lake that's there. It's a big lake. Okay, It's probably small compared to some of the lakes in North America here, but it's a big lake. It's 13 miles long. It's about 8 miles wide. Okay, Deepest point, somewhere around 140 feet. So it's not a small body of water by any means. It's fed by the River Jordan, I believe. But 
It's known for having really sudden, dangerous windstorms. And it's because of where it's situated. So it's got mountains all around it, and it sits in this cup, like a depression in it, you know, a really deep valley. And it's 600 feet below sea level. It's one of the, one of the lowest lakes in the world. Okay? And when the sun sets, because of the mountains, everything the way it's set up, you'll get this cool air that starts creating these rough winds coming through there. And so this, these winds, as it's dark now, are what the disciples are going to be rowing against as they go through here. Because they're going against the wind, so the sails aren't going to help them. So, with that in mind, with that terrain in mind, look at these verses one more time and picture them in your mind as we, as we go through here. That it had become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So they were crossing the sea to Capernaum. And in addition, the sea began to get rough. And because, it, because a strong wind was blowing. And then look at how far they had rowed. They rowed 25 to 30 stadia. Three and a half miles of an eight mile wide lake. Okay, and then... In the midst of all this wind, in the midst of all this rough waters, they see Jesus walking on water coming towards them, and they are afraid. So the boat was already far from land. The waves are going crazy on them, like we said. And when we look at the other gospel narratives here, we see that Jesus is watching them from the mountain. He can see them where they're at out there. And they're doing what he asked them to do. He told them to go out there. He asked them to go onto that water to go across to Capernaum. Now, per Matthew, it says that Jesus went to them at about the fourth watch. This would be at about 3 a.m. This is really late. Jesus is walking on the water at this time of night. Now, when you put this together... What this means is that they had gotten in that boat and they had been rowing for probably upwards of nine hours trying to cross this little, I would say little because it's an eight mile wide. They should have been able to make it across in nine hours. But for nine hours, they have been rowing their heart out, going against the wind, trying to get across here. They are probably exhausted. They are frightened because the wind and the the waves and they're not making any headway, probably worried about being capsized. And it, per Mark, for his part of the narrative, it says that they thought Jesus was a ghost. They were so exhausted, they were so tired, and they see somebody walking on water and they think, that is not what we th- what, that's not a person. They didn't expect Jesus to come across the water like this. But Jesus was going to show them that the water had no hold over him. Now the thing is, This is all history. This is all real. But if we don't think that this account here, if it doesn't, that it doesn't ring true in our own life, then we are we are sadly mistaken. The apostles, for them to be in harmony with that water there, for us as Christians to be where we need to be in our walk in this world, we can't live with with fear and faith together. They're like oil and water. They do not not mix. 
So if we have faith, if we have real God-fearing, God-loving, that Lord, I need you kind of faith, He's going to show us how to shed that fear. Not just as a concept, but as a practice. Peter's experience in this is the prime example. Everybody kind of goes to it. What happens to Peter and Matthew in chapter 14? In 26-42, let's just read it for a second, where it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter responded and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and came towards Jesus. But then seeing the wind, he became frightened and he began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out with his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. So I'd like to think of that last little part there as as a plea more so than a scold when he tells him, you know, you have little faith. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is is saying to us in our lives when we go through these kind of situations. Because there's no... There's no rule on the time frame or the magnitude of the events that you're going to have in your life. Everybody's are a little different. That's not our say of how, how that ends up. But it is our say of whether we deal with them with fear or with faith. He called Peter little faith. I'd like to see... It's almost like a title here. I don't know if that's how the intention was, but it's almost like a title. Like, hey, little faith. Like, he wasn't, bemean- he wasn't demeaning him. Or maybe he was. But in little faith, we have different reactions to scenarios than somebody who has been in the faith for a long time, who has a strong, deep relationship with the Lord. In little faith... We are affected by situations. When something bad happens, you get jolted. You get shocked. You get frightened by the storms that happen. And storms for us might not be an actual storm. They might be a medical diagnosis. They might be a death in the family. They might be a monetary situation. Somebody's lost a job, lost a house. These kind of things. These are our storms as well. And in our little faith... All of us are guilty of it. We've all done it. We all want that miracle right now. We want Jesus, Jesus, help me right now. I need you right at this second. This is what I need. I'm writing it down right here. Do this for me. Right? Sometimes we try to press our prestige because we have prestige. We are children of God. It's like a politician gets pulled over by a cop and says, uh, hey, do you know who I am? I don't need this ticket, right? Sometimes we do that with God. We say, hey, I'm your child. Don't put me through this. I don't want to go through this. I don't need to go through this. I'm one of your children. That's part of that little faith where we don't fully understand everything. But there's nothing wrong with little faith because it is a starting point for us. 
It's not the pinnacle. It better not be your pinnacle, but it is a starting point for everyone. That little faith, that small faith, is a milk-drinking faith, meaning from the Scriptures. It's a salvific faith. You are saved. That little faith, is, it knows the truth and obeys. Look, they had a little faith and they got in that boat and they rode against that storm. They didn't completely understand what was going on, but they understood that they needed to follow what he said. They didn't turn back. You know, a little faith is a, in its infancy struggles sometimes to come to a good relationship with the Lord. It takes time to understand. It takes time to step back and let the Spirit work in you. But a little faith is a praying faith, and it's a comforting faith because whose arms are you in but in Christ? So he tells him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they accept him into the boat. And what happens? The wind stops. And <clears throat> I believe, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but this is the first time where we see the disciples really worship Jesus as who he is. It is at this point. The miracle of the bread and the fish didn't do it. And the irony is, as they were rowing for nine hours, they were probably eating that bread and those fish to try to keep enough energy to keep rowing. But at this point, when they saw him do these things, they saw him walk on the water, they saw the storm get calmed, they, couldn't, they could no longer doubt who he was. All their lives they had been worshiping Yahweh from afar, the idea of who God is. And they had men interceding for them in the temple, a temple made of hands, but now they were finally at the point where they could worship God who was right in front of them. You know, uh, we all have short memories. This is something I'm definitely guilty of. You know, you think of a time when, when God did something really big in your life. It could have been bringing a certain person in your life. Could have been, could have been a certain event that happened. And for a long time, it sticks with you. And you constantly are thanking God for it. You're so happy that He did this or that. Whatever it was that happened for you. But as time wears on, you start to forget a little bit. Or you don't always thank Him for it because you get busy with life and doing this. Whatever it happens to be. It's almost the same thing that happened to the apostles here. Because this is not the first time that He saved them in a storm. But they seem to have forgotten that he had the power over the storm. Because in Matthew 8, 23-27, way before this happened, this is what happened to them in a boat with Jesus. It says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, a violent storm developed on the sea, so that the, bo the boat was being covered by the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, <clears throat> excuse me, saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? He used that term again. And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men were amazed, and they said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? 
So they forgot that he had already saved them once from a terrible storm. They probably were thankful for it after it happened for a while. But time wore on and it slowly fell away from them. So it wasn't just that Peter's faith was little. All of their faith was little at the time. You look at Mark and you see even more of of the test that Jesus was putting them through in this scenario. There's a lot that he was doing here. In Mark 6.48, you can see Jesus' intentions here. There is a test going on here for the apostles. It says, Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch, that 3 a.m. time, he came to them walking on the sea, and then here's the part that, that I always kind of forget about, and he intended to pass by them. So he wasn't even gonna he wasn't gonna get on the boat. He was just gonna pass by them. Apparently, they should have been strengthened by just seeing him walking on the water next to them. But they still had that little faith, and they needed him in that boat. They needed that comfort from him. They weren't quite there yet. So, like Peter, though, they had to learn who to call out to when that fear strikes. Because who else would we call out to? And when something like that happens, because it happens to all of us, it's good to look back and to reevaluate what happened. Why did you doubt? Did anything good come about your doubting God's abilities? Can you honestly find something in that? Uh, you know, did it, did it lengthen the ordeal that you were going through? I know I can think back on times where it definitely did for us. And you end up taking steps that you shouldn't take, instead of just falling back on God, and here you are six months later still dealing with something that should have been long gone. You know, is there a good excuse for doubting God's ability to work in your life? So we're all human. We're all going to fall. We, uh, we all have these moments of doubt. But it's that moment that Peter had that counts. It's that save me Lord moment when you fall back on who you know is going to save you. That's the, that's the big part that counts here. We're not proud of these moments. At least I'm not. Uh, that's understandable. Something kind of funny with that. So the Gospel of Mark, a lot of people say that it was probably inspired fully by Peter, that Peter was dictating to somebody the Gospel of Mark. Do you know what scene is not in the Gospel of Mark? It's, it's uh, Peter falling in the water when he starts doubting. That's kind of funny. So he might not have been too happy about that either and maybe let that one slip for a second. So the end, though, the end is interesting here. Verse 21 where it says, So they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So those last couple miles, because remember they were three miles across on an eight-mile eight uh, lake. They seemed to have flew by for them. Their crisis was averted. They learned a huge lesson, and they were worshiping Christ as they were going across the water. It's both history, but it's also a clear, clear fire sign for us that when Jesus is with us, Though we're still going to be in waters, we're still going to be in oceans, the trip is a lot different when He's there.
The trip is a lot different when you are leaning on Him. This matches in, in pure symbolism and in authenticity in our life. You know, in our short events, those events are a lot easier with God. And in your life as a whole, it is a lot easier, and it's the only way to go. The, the irony in all of it is that when we come to Christ, and sometimes it takes us a while to figure this out, that when we come to Christ, we don't even realize that we've already reached the other shore. Because when you come to Christ, you become a child of God. When you're born again, you already have eternal life. You've already made it. And then you fully realize this, like all those who've gone before us when we die, and we see that full glorification when we come to Christ. So a little bit of a... Maybe a little quick going through there, but 